It's an app that you can load onto your device, your electronic device, whether it's your phone or your computer or your laptop or your tablet, whatever the case is, but you can load it on there. And when you're getting ready to take a trip uh, or vacation or whatever you're going to do, you can look up the hotel and there are reviews about the hotels. You can look up rental car agencies and see what experiences the customers had. You can even look up a restaurant and find out if the food was good or whether it was bad. And some of the reviews you're going to see are uh, rather harsh. Some of them are kind and nice, and those are the places you probably want to go to. But when I see someone posting over and over and over on everything that I see, I kind of wonder if they really you know, uh, know what they're talking about. But anyway, but I thought it would be interesting because it is summer, and it's a time that people travel and move around quite a bit, that we'd talk about travel, Okay. Trip advisor, okay? Acts 27, there's a storm that's coming in the Mediterranean Sea called the Northeaster, all right? I don't know if it's the name of the storm like we named this last tropical depression in the Gulf, uh, Alberto. I don't know if it's the name of the storm or if it's the name of a type of a storm, a Northeaster, okay? But Paul is on a boat, and on this boat, he's on there with a bunch of sailors, and they're trying to get to Rome, okay? And they end up in a storm that wipes them out. The boat goes down, and they end up on an island. And it's a pretty wild story if you start reading it from the beginning to the end. But this is the trip advisor that I would have written for that particular trip, okay? One of the points would be smelly men on board ship. The next point would be very bad weather. The next one, poor cabin conditions. And the next one is port excursions very limited. The next, there were no tenders or docks on port. Had to swim or float to the island. And the next was prisoners on board. And nobody wants to travel with prisoners, I don't think. But anyway, God had made a promise to Paul that he was going to get him to Rome. And uh, we're going to talk about what to do in the middle of a crisis, in the middle of your northeaster, all right? Number one, I'm going to dive right in. Relationships matter most. When I think about relationships in this story, there are some very specific things that happen at the very beginning. Acts 27, 1 through 3. When it was decided that we would sail for Italy, Paul and some of the other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius. That's important to remember. They were handed over to a centurion, a guard, by the name of Julius, who belonged to the Imperial Regiment. We boarded a ship from the Adramatium, about to sail for the ports along the coast province of Asia, and we put out to sea. Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was with us. The next day we landed at Sidon, and Julius, in kindness to Paul, allowed him to go to his friends on that island so they might provide for his needs. This kind of fascinates me. We've got a guard here who's guarding a prisoner, okay? And in this particular case, we're reading the Bible, and we jump over things that we don't think are all that important, okay? Small things that happen in the Bible that really make an impact 
on the entire future of those particular stories? Well, Julius is a guard guarding Paul. He lets him go off the ship, apparently by himself. Well, if I'm a guard and I'm in charge of a prisoner, I'm not sure that I'm going to let a prisoner get off the ship by himself. He says he's going to go see friends, but what if they have planned ahead of time his escape? But what happened between Paul and Julius is pretty significant. Paul knew how to build bridges between people. He had shown himself to be trustworthy to Julius. Julius knew he could trust Paul not to run away, and that is a very, very big deal. You see, relationships are formed at the beginning before there are any storms or any uh, uh, winds that are blowing against you. How do we value people? Here's a guy that potentially could be an enemy to Paul or Paul viewing him that way. I mean, he's his guard. Do you think it might be a good idea for we believers as Christians to build relationships with people who might not even like us? You ever thought about that? Have you had somebody come into your life that you felt they didn't even like you before, but you put out the smallest effort and all of a sudden they discover you don't want to be their enemy and they really don't want it to either, but they've had these walls of things built up about them that they come off hostile even before you meet them. But we as Christians, just by being kind, can turn away the wrath. Have you ever had those times when you've burnt bridges behind you? Have you ever had those times that those words escaped from your lips that you wish they had not? You can't take them back. You can say you're sorry all that you want, but you put a seed in those people's mind that this is really how you think and feel about them all the time. And those, relate, those words can impact a relationship forever. It'd be better, don't you think, to measure those words before they come out of your mouth? Number two, we all must face the wind. The wind in this story is the very thing that is going to drive this boat to the rocks and crash it. But I'm not a sailor, but I know a little bit about sailing, probably enough to be dangerous. But the wind is a sailor's friend. And the boat really can't get anywhere without it. But the truth is, if it's a strong enough wind and the wind is against you, you can't go anywhere with it. Verse 4. From there we put out to sea again and passed to the Lee of Cyprus. Paul's already seen his friends. He's got what he needed from them. They're going out to sea again. And then it says they passed to the Lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. Verse 9. Much time had been lost and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the day of atonement, so Paul warned them. This is really important. Paul's making a statement to the captain and the owner of the ship here, okay? He's saying, we really should stay here. I'm feeling bad about this. The winds 
are not right. He has some internal leading. I don't know if it was just instinctual that he had it or was the Spirit that was leading him. The Bible doesn't really say. I tend to believe that it was the Spirit that's leading Paul. But what's your reaction when you face a storm? When I look out at the congregation here tonight, I know some of your stories. We stood with you in prayer. We stood with you in those dark hours. We've seen the winds and the storms blowing in your face. And these winds are unexpected things that come up as a surprise to you. Usually in our life, we expect the usual week to week. Five days of work, come home every evening, you know, sit down, read the paper, watch a little television, have dinner, visit with your family, go to bed and do it all again five days in a row. And then on the weekend, we get a little rest, we do some things around the house. On Saturday night, we get up and go to church and we worship. It's a wonderful time if things go as expected. But storms come into our life, and they always come unexpectedly. Some here tonight, you're facing storms. Winds are blowing really, really hard. And what does it mean when the winds are in your face? There's a couple things that you need to remember when the winds start blowing in your face really hard. We need to remember that we need to always try to ride the wind. Don't try to escape it. Stay in the face of the wind and continue to cry out to God, but ride the wind. What do you mean? Maybe I caused it. Maybe I didn't cause what's coming into my life, but I'll continue to try to sail. What can I learn while I'm in this wind? What can I learn from this storm? I'm going to make the best of what's going on right now. Next, I may be transitioning to a place that I didn't even know that I was going to. Sometimes it's a place you don't want to go to, but people are going through job changes. People are going through financial situations that they didn't have a year ago. Some are going through relationship changes that are very hurtful and very painful. But it's not really the direction you wanted to go, but the winds drove you there. Next, I'm going to be constantly making adjustments during the storm. I went to see a movie the other night. It was called Adrift. And it was about these two people who were sailing from the South Seas up to San Diego, California. And they got caught in a Pacific storm. And it was horrific. And it's a true story. And they're up on deck. And, you know, they're pulling down the spinnaker. They're adjusting the jib. They're moving the rudders back and forth. And it's, a, it's just a, a, just a frantic movement of motion all the time. And they're making adjustments in the middle of the storm. And that's what you'll do when the winds are blowing at you and you're feeling the, uh, the force of the gale in your face. doesn't matter what it is in your life, but you'll have to make some kinds of adjustments while we're battling the storm. And the next thing you need to ask yourself, will you respond the proper way when the wind hits you? How are you going to respond? It's not a matter of if the wind's going to hit you. It's when will the winds hit you. Many of us have been through lots of storms in life. If we're just starting out in life, they're out there. I know that's not a real uplifting statement, but it's a warning. They're there. Number three, P, 
people don't always want to hear the truth. Have you ever tried to tell somebody something that if you know, you know that you know is going to happen? And you can tell they're not really listening. They hear you, okay? But you can tell by the glaze in their eyes that it's going through one ear and it's coming out the other and they're not receiving what you have to say at all. They're polite and they're kind, but they're not going to do what you're suggesting they do. Verse 10, Paul speaking here, and he said, Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous. I know that's exactly what they wanted to hear. And it's going to bring great loss. So much for the prosperity message there. It's going to be great loss to ship and cargo to our own lives also. But the centurion, the guy that should have been listening, instead of listening to what Paul said, allowed the advice of the pilot and of the owner of the ship. Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. How many of you have ever wanted to winter in Phoenix? Well, this isn't the Phoenix, uh, you know, that we want to go winter in, but nevertheless, it was a Phoenix there. This was a harbor in Crete facing both southwest and northwest. Now, I really don't understand how you could do that, but that's all right. How did Paul know that they might lose the ship, the cargo, and quite possibly the ship or lives. Did Paul just have an instinct about the weather? Or did he have a discernment that the Holy Spirit was prompting him? I believe that each of us here at Hope Worship Center that confess Jesus Christ as our Savior, we have the Holy Spirit residing in us. We have a spirit, the Spirit, that has renewed our mind, and there are gifts of the Spirit that move powerfully in us. And I'm not sure if it was a word of knowledge that came to the Apostle Paul. I don't know if it was a spirit of discernment that began to rise up in him, because of these power gifts, Paul is warning of a coming storm. I suggest, before you make big decisions in your life, ask the Holy Spirit to guide you. Sometimes you just don't get a piece about it. A couple of years ago, Dana and I were getting ready to go on a trip. And we're like a week away. And we're praying about the trip and all this. We think it's all settled. But I started getting uneasy. Not a, a, a piece about it. And I went to Dana and I said, Dana, I don't feel good about going on this trip. And she trusts me. She said, if you don't feel good about it, let's not go. So we didn't go. I don't know what could have happened. Don't know if anything was going to happen. But I felt an uneasiness about it, so we just stayed where we were. That doesn't happen often to me. And sometimes, truthfully, those things can just be fear, and you have to overcome those. But sometimes I think it's discernment. And I believe Paul is being led of the Spirit, and those men who were the captains and the owners of the ship should have listened. These people are going to learn a lesson that I would not like for anybody to learn. What do you do when someone doesn't listen to you? That person that looks you kindly in the eyes and you're well-meaning and you're trying to help them out. What do you do when they don't listen to you? Okay, When they don't listen to you, you keep engaged with them and you keep on loving them anyway. 
Moms and dads, how many times have you tried to instruct your kids on certain things and they just don't listen? You've been down that road before. You've seen it. You've done it. You bought the T-shirt and all that, and you try to help your kids out, but they got to learn on their own, I guess, and they just don't listen. Happens all the time. You keep on loving them. You keep on talking to them, and you keep engaged with them. And even when it's friends or people you work with and things like that, you don't just fold your arms and go, I'm done. They don't listen to me. I'm not talking to them anymore. I'm just done, done, done. No. Every now and then, you come up to them and say, I'm really done. You don't necessarily have to broach the thing that you gave me, but you can talk to them anyway. Anything I can help you with? Can I be a servant to you? You still love them. Paul, he stayed on the boat. He didn't get off the boat because they didn't listen to him. You're probably saying, well, he was a prisoner. He couldn't go. But the truth is, he could have sat back in the corner and not engaged anybody, did not listen in power. But he stayed engaged, he stayed involved, and he continued to work with the guys who were in charge of the boat. Number four, managing chaos. Usually when you're in a storm, and you're starting into the storm, it doesn't feel real good. But I'm here to warn you, it's about to get worse. We're all going to learn, need to learn to manage chaos at some point in our life. Verse, verse 13 here. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity, so they weighed anchor and they sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force, hurricane force, called the Northeaster, here it's named, Swept down from the island, the ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind, so we gave way to it and were driven along. And what that means was they were out of control. They were no longer controlling the ship. The wind was. The wind was blowing them away, and they had no idea what was going on. That's a scary moment. Sometimes that happens in our lives. We have the storms going on, the winds are blowing us, they're pushing us, and we're out of control. And verse 18 says, We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. This is what they're going to make money on. They start throwing the cargo overboard. In verse 19, on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. Just quit trying. Physically quit trying to make it. A couple of verses earlier, they had taken ropes and they had passed them under the boat and over and tied them together as tightly as they could in a few places because the ship was literally breaking apart and they were trying to hold it together. You ever been in a storm out on the ocean? Anybody? Jim has. I've never been in one of those. I've been in a gale situation on a little lake in a little boat. Lake Ray Hubbard, east of Dallas. 
Many of you have crossed it before. I'm out there water skiing with a friend, and all of a sudden the winds get up. And all of a sudden, three to four foot swells start rocking that lake. And we're in this little 12-foot boat. Bam, bam, bam. We're trying to get the marina to get gas. Now, I'm telling you what, I'm out in the middle of that lake, and it's not the biggest lake in the world, but I'm really scared. I pray the prayer that you pray when you're out in one of those kind of storms, okay? Lord, I promise you, I will never get in a boat again if you'll just get me off this lake. I'll never do it again. You probably prayed that prayer in many ways. How am I going to manage chaos? The first thing that we want to do is point our finger. It's your fault. It's their fault. It's his fault. Tracy, Carmine, it's your fault for getting me out of this lake. It wasn't his fault. Don't blame others. Blaming someone else and just pointing the finger doesn't help anybody. It doesn't help you. It doesn't help the other person either. And it doesn't get you out of the chaos. What if it it is someone's fault? When we start blaming other people, we start having resentment growing in our heart. And if you can't let it go, it's not going to make the situation better. You'll begin to sulk. You'll just get angry and your reactions are not going to be godly. What do you do when there's chaos? Do the best with what you have. And I see Paul trying to be helpful when he's on the ship. He's a team player. They didn't do what he said, but I'm going to still help out anyway. And I can see him out there listening to commands. He's, As far as I can see in the readings in the Scripture, he's not a sailor. So he's listening for commands and things and doing what he can do to help the situation. The next thing, and this is probably the best thing you can do, cry out to God. In the middle of your storm, cry out to God. Do all that you physically can to help the situation, but trust God. Saying, Lord, I'm in over my head and I must have your intervention. And then finally, learn from everybody. Don't be the strong-willed person that can't accept counsel from somebody else. You might find that you can learn from that other person. You might even be able to learn from that person that doesn't like you. I'll bet that on that ship, all the sailors were doing their best to save the ship. I can hear the command. Give me that rope. (laughs) Pull down the spinnaker. Adjust the jib. I keep using spinnaker and jib because that's the only sails I know. And number five, we should be people of hope. We believe as Christians that God doesn't get nervous, right? We believe that God is always doing His job. He's not in heaven looking down here and freaking out over the storm. So I don't need to freak out. I can just see 
God's opinion, people's opinion of God. You know, when we go in through the storm, we see him up there just wringing his hands. Oh, no. How are we going to get him through this thing? Not ever. <laughs> Verse 21. I love this part. He said, after they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them. He gathered them all around him, and he stood up before them, and he said, men, you should have taken my advice. He just couldn't resist saying, I told you so. You shouldn't have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourself and de this damage and loss. Is Paul trying to tell them, I told you so? I don't think so. I think he's trying to tell them something much bigger than I told you so. He is trying to tell them that God appeared to him and God is on his side. God was trying to help us avoid this storm and you wouldn't listen. But I'm getting ready to tell you something else and I hope that you will listen to me this time. This is God talking. It's not just me. He had to remind them of the time before. You didn't listen the time before. I was speaking to you, but I was speaking the words of God on your behalf. I hope you will listen now. And then in verse 22, it says, But now I urge you to keep up your courage, because not one of you will be lost. And they're probably going, yay! And then he goes, but the ship will be destroyed. So the owner and the captain are kind of downcast. Then he says in verse 23, Last night an angel of God, to whom I belong and whom I serve, stood beside me, and he said, Do not be afraid. Paul, you must stand trial before Caesar, Caesar and God has graci graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. Yay, we're all going to be saved. So keep up your courage, men. For I have faith in God that if it will happen, that it will happen just as he told me. Then he says, nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. <laughs> have you ever heard people say, well, it'll work out? Well, yes and no. Okay? There will be an end to the storm. But it probably won't end the way you think it will. You all have a desire of how you want it to end. It may not end that way at all. It will end. And I think that's a little bit of a gut check, excuse my language, a little bit of a gut check for all of us believers to understand that not everything turns out like we think it ought to. Sometimes the ship gets wrecked. Sometimes it sinks to the bottom. It's not what we like to hear, but it's true. This ship did sink, and it happened near a little island. And there are natives that are on this island who welcomed them. Imagine how exhausted these sailors are who have spent days battling this storm. And now they've all cast, been cast into the ocean. Some of them floated in on wood. Some of them swam in by their own skills. Their swimming was a wonderful thing. Okay, they're worn out. And they start coming up out of the water. And these natives see them coming. And there's no boat. 
They probably, what in the world is going on? But they welcome them nonetheless, and they start to build a fire. And they're sitting around the fire trying to get dry and get warm. And Paul reaches over for something, and a snake bites him on the arm. And it was one of those vipers that doesn't let go. I don't know if it was a cotton, cotton mouth or what it was. But he picks it up and it's still hanging. And the natives think, this must be a really evil man. Theologians say, and they try to tell us what kind of snake it is, and I don't, think, I don't know if they know or not, but there are snakes that are on that particular island that will kill you in four minutes or less. Four minutes pass by. He's not dead yet. He's shaking the snake off in the fire. And then they think, oh, this man must be a god. We should worship him. Paul says, I'm not evil. I'm not a god. You don't need to be worshiping me. I just want some rest. I think that's really interesting, especially when the ship breaks apart, finally runs on ground, and it just falls apart. And Paul tells him, some of you who can't swim, you grab a hold of the wood of the boat and float in. And he tells the rest of them, you can swim, you just float on in. It's so interesting. Because he involves the typology of the Scripture right here. And I love it. I think it's so beautiful because every time you hear wood mentioned in Scripture, it is referring back to a type of the cross. You guys grab a hold of the cross and hold on as time is going. When you're in the storm, I can think of nothing better to do than for you to grab a hold of the cross of Jesus Christ. The rest of you, you just float in on the Holy Spirit the water. You just come on in, and you're going to be taken care of. Here's a couple of things that we need to ask ourselves when we've been in a storm. Number one, am I prepared for the storm? If I'm hit by a storm today, do I have the faith that it needs to be able to, that I need to be able to weather the storm? Number two, do I live in a panic mode and why? You know, if you live in a chaos and if you live in a constant panic in your life, I might suggest that you make some changes to your lifestyle. Don't let panic and chaos be your automatic default. Make your cry out to Jesus be your automatic default. God says, be anxious for nothing. What does that mean? Let me define it. Be anxious for nothing. Cast all your cares on Him. Our world is living nervously. I don't know if you've noticed that. They're living in a lot of anxiety. They're, have you noticed the celebrities that have killed themselves this past week? We're talking about people with all the success that most of us can even manage in our lives. But they still can't find reason to take another breath. Be anxious for nothing. Cast your cares on Him. 
living nervously, anxiety all around. And here's what God's saying. It's really simple, okay? God's saying to those of us who are in the storm, that are managing chaos right now, that are getting anxious and getting nervous, He's saying, rest. Just rest. I've got this. It'll end. It may not end like you like it to, but I've got it. Just rest. Then number three, am I listening to the right people? If the people on board that ship that Paul was sailing on in the Mediterranean had listened to him, the ship would have not been lost. The cargo would have been saved. The tackle would have been preserved. And all would be well. They'd be waiting for the sun. Are you listening to the right people? And number four, how do I encourage those people around me that are going through storms? <clears throat> I could probably point, and I won't do it, at anybody here tonight, and you would say immediately, who's going through a storm that you know of or have known? Probably in just saying that, a face came to mind. Who's going through a storm? How can I encourage them? You may have even tried to talk to them, and maybe they didn't listen. You know what's really good? Just a little note. Set it on their desk. Put it in a place that's obvious to them. Just a note just saying, hey, I'm thinking of you, I'm praying for you. Nothing wrong with a card. Nothing wrong with an email. There's nothing wrong with being even more personal coming up to them and saying, I just want you to know that I'm thinking about you. Praying for you, too. It doesn't take a lot to be an encourager. We used to know a guy down in Broken Bow, Oklahoma, about 80 years old, a little older than 80. And we used to always say this, it doesn't take a nickel to be nice. It really doesn't. It doesn't take a nickel to be nice. It doesn't matter if they didn't listen to you. It doesn't matter if they don't like you. You can still be nice. Still be civil. You can still be an encourager. Would you stand?